The Restless Heart Podcast, Episode 9. Friends in High Places, Part 2. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Hello and welcome to the Restless Heart Podcast. My name is David. And I'm Nessa. So Nessa, what have you been up to this week? Uh, to be honest, I haven't been feeling that great. Feeling, you know, a little low. So um, just pray for me, guys. Okay, everyone, you're under orders. <laughs> when we record this next week, I expect to hear that Nessa is feeling fantastic. Oh, that'd be great. If not, I will be taking names. <laughs> So what about you, David? Well, this week I recorded several episodes of my other podcast, so I'm going to be spending a lot of time in editing. Are you leaving me? No, 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 no. I just enjoy podcasting so much, I need to do more of it. All right. <laughs> we also had Brother Peter. Uh, do you know Father Benedict Rochelle? You no. know his order? Uh-uh. Uh, he was big with EWTN. Well, we had one of the uh, brothers stay at our house because he's doing something really cool and this has been on my radar for a little while now. He is walking the Californian missions. What? You can do that? Mm-hmm. Still? Uh, there's a little part where the Marines won't let him walk through. <laughs> Camp Pendleton. Uh, yes. But other than that, yeah, you can still do it. Because that's how the missions were originally founded. They were meant to be a day's walk apart. Yeah, exactly. I remember at least that. in theory. So he's doing that. And so it's got me thinking back to my Camino time. I was walking the Camino de Santiago all the way across Spain, and I'm starting to think that that would be a great idea as well. Oh. Don't die. I'll try not to. (laughs) You guys pray for David. Mm -hmm. And speaking of prayer, and actually speaking of the Camino, I actually found out this week that one of the people that I'd been praying for, because as I walked the Camino de Santiago, I was doing several rosaries a day. And when people find out... Wait, what? Several rosaries a day? You're walking what across... What are you, Pope Francis? You're walking across Spain. There's nothing else to do. There's singing. You can sing. I did sing as well, actually. And it was a little catching. The One time, the guy ahead of me, he started singing as well. Oh, it's contagious. Yes, I it was adorable. It. But one of the people that I was asked to pray for, I found out actually this week that she's now in remission from her cancer. So that's really cool. Oh, I need prayers from you. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're picking up a topic that we started a couple of episodes ago. We did Friends in High Places, and I shared the story of St. Edmund Campion. So today we thought we would do that again and tell a few more saint stories, because the saints are part of our family. So we're just sharing a little bit of family history, those amusing stories about your weird Uncle Al. But rather than your Uncle Al, I actually wanted to start with St. Basil of Caesarea. Americans will insist on calling him St. Basil. I will let it go this once. So Basil was Bishop of Caesarea, hence his name, and he lived in the fourth century. And he's known as the father of Oriental monasticism. So monasticism refers to people living in monasteries, monks, nuns, that sort of thing. He was the father of Oriental monasticism, so monasticism of the East. And he was a forerunner of St. Benedict, who was the founder of the Benedictines and who is generally regarded as the father of monasticism in the West. And I mention that because... St. Basil's monastic training became very important later in his life when he was a bishop and he came under pressure. 
This is what had happened. The Emperor Valens had come to power, and he was a resolute supporter of the Arians. Have you heard of the Arians before? No. But you've heard of the Council of Nicaea? Yes. Okay, so every week at Mass we recite the Nicaean Creed. Well, the Nicaean Creed comes from the Council of Nicaea, which was convened to answer this question of Arianism, the Arian controversy. And Arianism came from a guy called Arius, and he contended that the sun did not always exist. The that, sun as in the planet or sun as sun? Oh, sorry. <laughs> God, yes. Sun, S-O-N, as okay. in uh, the father and the sun, that the sun came into existence. And I'm not talking about the incarnation here, that before the creation of the world, there was a point at which the father produced the son, that he was not eternally begotten. Effectively saying that Jesus is not fully divine, since mm. he's ultimately a creation of the father. Okay. And so this was starting to tear the church apart. So the Council of Nicaea was convened, and the fathers sorted it out, and Nicaean Orthodoxy won. So the idea that no, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. In the creed, we talk about the son being consubstantial with the father. That was the central truth that was proclaimed by the Council of Nicaea. As opposed to saying what? Technically, the Greek words were homoousios and homoousios. Whether the son was of the same substance as the father, God from God, light from light, true mm -hmm. God from true God, or whether he was from a similar substance with the father. So you have the son being this exalted creature, but still, nevertheless, a creature. And that has all kinds of problems, because if you claim that you're a monotheist, but yet you worship Jesus and he is not the one true God, it, it all gets very dicey very quickly. I'm going to sound real stupid, but we believe that he was constant the whole time. Yes. Because he's... We believe that the son and the father have been in an eternal relationship. Okay, that's what I thought. Ultimately, that the Trinity has always existed. But there's other denominations who don't believe that. Yes. And it, I'm learning that. Yes. Christadelphians, Jehovah's Witnesses. Witnesses they yeah. have, they're, they're far closer to the idea, the heresy of the Arians. With that as our background, the Emperor Valens, he comes to power and he's a supporter of the Arians. And the Emperor sends Prefect Modestus to Bishop Basil to basically tell him that there's a new sheriff in town and get on board, trying to convince him to side with the Arians. Wait, what does prefect mean? I've only heard it in Hogwarts or Harry Potter. <laughs> well, it comes from a very similar idea. It's somebody in authority. Oh, okay. So you talk about a prefect in the government. He has a he has a role. He has some authority. Modestus threatens Basil mm. to try and get him on side, and he threatens him with everything: with ruin, exile, torture, and even death if he doesn't fall into line. How does that even get you on their side? Doesn't he know, like, you catch more with honey than with vinegar? Apparently not. What an idiot. Sorry. Like, he, th he thought strong-arming the, the bishop was the way to go. But Basil's response to this is just priceless. So Modestus, he's threatened Basil with everything. And so Basil goes through his points. You're threatening me with confiscation of property. Well, that means nothing to a man who possesses Nothing. nothing. As I, as I pointed out at the beginning, he had been a monk, so yeah. he was used to having nothing. He said, I've only got a few books and clothes, and feel free to take them. He'd also been threatened with exile, and he said, the very ground on which I'm standing doesn't belong to me, and the whole earth belongs to God, so wherever you send me, I will still be his temporary guest. I love this guy. 
He then threatens him with torture. Well, torture has no power. He threatened him with death. He says, it will be a deliverance. It would, yeah. He said, it will bring me quickly to God, for whom I live and to a greater extent have died, and to whom I hasten to come. Basil wasn't afraid of death because he'd already died to himself. Yeah. Tell the emperor that neither violence nor persuasion will force me to accept wrong teaching. And Basil's adamant negative response prompted Modestus to say that no one had ever spoken to him like that before. This is a high-up-ranking government official. He wasn't used to being spoken to like this. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> and Basil simply responded, Perhaps you have never yet had to deal with a bishop. Oh. Isn't that great? I love St. Basil. He's got so much vim and vinegar. But it also shows how important his monastic training was in carrying out his office as bishop. That he had sought personal holiness, that he had been suitably detached from this world. So that when someone came threatening him with worldly punishments, it meant nothing to him. And I think that can be a wonderful lesson for us. How attached are we to the things of this world? If somebody threatened to take them away from us, how lightly do we hold them? Would we be willing to give them away? So that was St. Basil. So what saint do you want to talk about? I would like to talk about St. Mother Teresa. Or at least that's what I call her. Everyone, or she's known for St. Teresa of Calcutta. Mm -hmm. She actually took that name from St. Teresa of Lisieux. I thought that was beautiful. Um, Everyone knows her basically as the living saint. Uh, I remember being, I think it was third grade, just reading about her in my like child version of Time magazine. (laughs) What about you? Like, do you remember your earliest memory? I remember definitely seeing her on TV. Oh, wow. Because I grew up in the 80s. I'm going to tell you when exactly, but (laughs) I grew up in the 80s. And I, I do remember seeing various TV programs about her and she was definitely capturing everyone's attention. Well, at age 12, she dedicated herself to God, age 12. What were you doing at age 12? Uh, Mostly eating worms at the bottom of the garden. I was like chasing the ice cream man at that age. Like once I heard it, boom, I'm out the door. (laughs) Anyways, um, her name, okay, God forgive me if I mispronounce it. (laughs) Agnes Bijon Jackson. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I can't correct you, so I'm going to say, yep, that's exactly how you do it. (laughs) So at age 18, she leaves home and she joins the Sisters of Loreto, based in Ireland. And just a year after that, she starts teaching in Calcutta at the School of Loreto. So 20 years in, she gets permission from Pope Pius XII to pursue her ministry. Two years later, the Vatican approves her to start Missionaries of Charity in 1950. Um, I know in San Diego, we have missionaries of charity. Mm-hmm. I don't know where exactly, but I guess you can have uh, holy hours with them. Oh, okay. I've definitely seen them at various events. And you can pray with them, yeah. And I've seen them in the, I don't know what's it the called. The sari. The sari, is that what that is? Mm-hmm. I like the traditional Indian dress. freak out when I see them because they're so small. And I'm like, ah, Mother Teresa, I want like little mini hers, you know? And this so. this is a Catholic girl problem. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay, I'm not the only one. Freaking who, out when you like, see Sisters girls. of Charity. I remember I saw my first one, like, I think two years ago at a conference in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, oh, it was, oh, it was great. Anyways, two years after she gets permission to um, start the Missionaries of Charity, she establishes the Home for the Dying in 1952. And I remember in the movie... 
um, there were men that were against her because they thought that she was going to start converting people and like people had to be Catholic in order to receive, you know, help. And like, no, she stressed that like, no, you don't have to be Catholic. Um, and I guess one of the guys that was against her was dying. And so he had like a buddy with him. And so he, his buddy just saw him being dragged into this, to this, you know, shelter. And so he starts freaking out. And so she wouldn't let them in because he's like, we're going to break the door down. They were basically going to take them down. And so she allows this guy to come in and see what they're doing. And he sees, yeah, everyone is basically dying. And he sees his friend and he gets moved and then he just walks away and tells the crowd, like, don't even bother. And I think in that moment he understands. So it just shows that actions speak louder than words in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's basically what her life was. That's, you know, little small ways. Absolutely. When you said that you were thinking about talking about Mother Teresa, I dug out this quotation from Peter Kreeft, who's professor of philosophy at Boston College. This is what he says. I think nobody alive today is a more powerful agent of conversion than someone like Mother Teresa. You can refute arguments, but not her life. When she came to the national prayer breakfast and lectured President Clinton about abortion, he had nothing to say to her. He can't argue with a saint. It's too bad there isn't an easy way, because becoming a saint is not the easiest thing in the world. It's much easier to become an apologist, or a philosopher, or a theologian. Why? Well, because to be those other things, you just have to turn up at school, read some books, write some papers. But to be a saint, that means to pursue radical holiness. That means to do what St. Basil did, to die to the world, to be the servant of others. I'd much prefer to sit in an office and read books. Sounds way easier. So then after she establishes the house for the dying, three years after that, she establishes the first home for orphans. And then after that, two years later, she begins her work with lepers. So it's like, notice how it goes from two years, two years, three years, two years. Like, it's like back to back, run one thing after the other. And like, this woman is on fire and on a roll. And then she goes through that period of getting nothing from God. Yeah, like a dark night of the soul. Yeah, and I remember going to a talk at YCP with, um, oh, I forgot what he's called. Not CEO, but it's like one of those technical... CFO, CTO. Yeah, I think it was that one. And they asked if he's ever gone through that. He says, no, he's never gone through it. And he's he said that people who do go through that, it's a great honor. Because that means God is trusting you that... Everything's going to be okay, even though in his, you're in his absence. Like, he's calling you to do something really, really big by doing that or by going through that. Um, and so, yeah, he was calling our saint right here, Saint Mother Teresa, to do the same. It was said of Saint Augustine that he prayed, Lord, give me chastity, just not yet. I think my prayer would be the same for that. Give me a dark night of the soul, just but not, not yet. yet. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't she also awarded the Nobel Peace Prize? Yes, that was in 1979. And then in 1992 is when she finally meets Princess Diana. Mm -hmm. Now that I do remember. My Where were you? I'm curious. I was living in England. I was still at my family home. I was still, I was young. But I do remember because my mother and my sister, they were huge fans of the royals, particularly Princess Diana. And the idea of Princess Diana and Mother I Teresa know. together. Yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> those are the sorts of noises that were coming out of them. But that's amazing, though. You were, like, basically there. I was watching it on TV. Sure, I was basically there. 
1992, I was like in kindergarten in here in California, in Logan Heights. <laughs> Shortly after that, in 1997, um, her health just plummets. And then later um, in September of that year, she passes away. So like we were saying in episode, what was it, seven? For when we were talking about saints and the qualifications to become a saint, you need a miracle. Mm-hmm. So for St. Mother Teresa, it was in 1998, this lady named Monica Bursa. I hope I'm saying that right. Probably um, not, but let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> she was cured of a tumor. And then um, in 2003, over 250,000 people showed up in St. Peter's Square, which I hope to go to one day, um, to celebrate her beatification. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know a few people that went there specifically for that. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Have you ever gone? Yeah, twice. St. Peter? Mm-hmm. For what? Uh, the first time I took my mother there for her birthday. Oh, that's a... Wow. Wow. I like <laughs> that. She raised you well. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of did. Uh, yeah, no, I, her birthday is at the end of the year. So in the new year, we flew to Rome and uh, spent a few days wandering around. Saw St. Peter's and the Vatican Museums. Ate a lot of pizza. And then I think it was about a year later... I went back again, actually on a pilgrimage with some of friends from Washington, D.C. Because when I lived in Washington, D.C., I went to that parish. I heard they were doing a pilgrimage to Rome and they were transferring planes in Heathrow in London. So I just met them there and did the rest of the pilgrimage with them. I should do that this year. Or not this year, but like... It's fantastic. Rome is one of my all-time favorite places and Italy definitely is my favorite European country to visit. So that is Mother Teresa... I remember Jason Everett telling the story of when she was trying to beg for bread for this homeless child and the baker spat in her face. And she said, that was for me. Now perhaps you could give the child some bread. Wow. You know, is that living out the Beatitudes or what? Yeah. If I could say one thing from Pastor Rick Warren... For those of you who don't know, he is a pastor for a mega church mm-hmm. that I actually Saddle, got Saddleback. to Saddleback. Yeah, I got to meet him in person, and I didn't even know it was him until <laughs> after he started speaking. I'm like, oh my god, I shook hands with Rick Warren. Um, but here in uh, Time Magazine that I actually bought in 2012, he talks about her. He says most people today do not know the difference between a hero and a celebrity. Celebrities are famous for being famous and typically use a spotlight to promote themselves. The difference between heroes and celebrities lies in the reason for their sacrifice. Celebrities often make sacrifices, but they are made for personal benefit to win a game, an award, or an election. For instance, professional athletes, actors, and entertainers may be celebrities, but they are not really heroes. They sacrifice for what they do because they enjoy it, or for money, or fame, or personal satisfactions. Heroes, in contrast, sacrifice for the benefit of others. They are self-giving. Mother Teresa is exhibit A of a true hero, a saint. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, as tough as it is to follow Mother Teresa, I've got one other saint story for this episode. Saint Philip Neri. You ever heard of him? Nope. I will now. I love this guy. (laughs) So he was born in Florence in 1515, and he had a conversion of heart very young. It was about when he was 18. And he moved to Rome. He had no money, no plan. And he just ended up tutoring a family for two years. So he tutored the children and in the rest of his time he spent it in solitude, prayer. He started studying philosophy, theology. 
But then he brought his studies to an abrupt close and he launched a mission to the people of Rome. Which was a very good thing, because at this time, as in many points in history, Rome was not doing very well. Now, he later became a priest, and there's one particular anecdote that just sums up this guy. He was known for his sense of humour. Be afraid, be very afraid. A priest with a sense of humour? That's the greatest combination. Well, well, we'll see, we'll see. So he noticed that many of his congregation would leave Mass pretty much as soon as they'd received communion. Oh, like Judas. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Judas. And so he preached against this. He encouraged the people to, to stay and to pray. But there was one member of his congregation who just kept leaving. And this is a practice that's very much alive and well today. So mm-hmm. anyway, so he gave more exaltations from the pulpit to encourage people to stay and pray. But despite this, that person just kept leaving. So one day, he was ready. He sent two altar servers, both carrying candles, to follow that man as he left the church. And they were under orders to follow him wherever he went. And so they escorted him all the way through the streets, through the market. And as you can imagine, this was accompanied with lots of laughing and pointing because why did this guy have two altar servers walking either side of him holding candles? So the man demanded to know what the acolytes were doing. Why were they following him? And they explained that Father Neary had told them to do so. So he returned to the church and he asked the priest why he had done this. St. Philip's response is wonderful. He said, It is to pay proper respect to our Lord, whom you are carrying away with you, because he just received communion. Since you neglect to adore him, I sent the servers to take your place. Because Philip's point was that after we receive the body of Christ, in a certain way we become living tabernacles of God. And so if there was ever any time to kneel and pray in thanksgiving, it's after receiving Holy Communion. And... You told me off for not knowing the end of the St. Francis story in episode 7, when he came to confront the priest who had been living in a moral life. Yeah. I went and looked up the answer for St. Philip, what happened to this man. So you'll be pleased to hear that he did repent, and he knelt before the altar in prayer. Hmm. So it all ended happily. Good boy. (laughs) But what a great response from St. Philip Neri. I mean, may we have more priests like that? Although, if I'm honest, I don't want those priests in my parish. Why not? Because they will challenge me to greater holiness. Oh my god. And if they've got a sense of humor like that, who's saying what they're going to do? That's worrying. It's just, it's good for your soul. That's what I'm concerned about. It's okay, just pray to our mother and she'll soothe it. She'll be like, shh, 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 there, 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 it'll be okay. It'll be okay, it'll be okay, David. (laughs) Sing me soft, kitty. And so on that note, what are you up to this week? (laughs) Um, I'm going to a party up north in L.A. with some fellow Catholics. Fancy. Going to connect with other young adult Catholics out there and see what they're up to. See if I can sneak in into any internships. Cool. But yeah. I'll actually be heading up in that direction as well. Heading up to Anaheim to Medieval Times. Oh, that's right. October. So what? Oktoberfest? No, no, no. Med- oh, sorry, no. Medieval times, you know, the show where oh, people are on horses in, and they uh, joust each park. other. Yeah. Yes. I've never gone. I've driven by it so many times because I go to school out. I used to go to school out there. I've been many times. It's what, the one opportunity when I get to wear a crown and people don't laugh at me. <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> so I'm going to Medieval Times and also this weekend 
the C.S. Lewis reading group. We're just finishing up Mere Christianity and starting on The Four Loves. When you do screw tape letters, let me know. Okay, I think I think that will probably be the one after that. We're either going to do screw tape or The Great Divorce. Or what about Until We Had Faces? That will be afterwards. We, we generally took a vote as to which books people wanted to read, so we're roughly reading them in that order. So, please like, share, and subscribe. Write us a review in iTunes. We I actually saw we had a couple more. We'll have to read those next episode. We have more? Yeah. And if you'd like to contact us, you can do so through the website, restlesspilgrim.net. You can tweet us at David and Nessa. So David said last week we would have a winner for the Jackie and Bobby Angel giveaway. But I didn't check the Twitter account, so we will do that next week. <laughs> Let's do the sign-off. All right. You made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts will wander restless until we rest in you. All you holy angels and saints. Please pray.